Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you would get your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel according to John. The Gospel according to John, chapter 8. something here that I want us to kind of we'll see if how fast I can move through this because we're going to take the first parts of it in large bites but I want you to understand in chapter eight um, that starts the story off with the adulterous woman and and to give you just a little bit of a background of the type of people that Jews were Jews were the type of, of people that if an individual broke Jewish law the punishment that was given out of the Levitical law was the punishment that was handed out so if they walked up on somebody who was cheating on a spouse, they'd just gather around real quick, stone them to death. No jury trial, no executioner. I mean, the people were the executioner. If you were caught and there were two people who were willing to stand there, point the finger at you and say, yep, they did it, they would form a circle around you and beat you with stones until you stopped breathing. That was the world without Jesus in it. And I want you to see kind of the model picture over the big picture as we go through chapter 8. And I'll stop and give you some markers so that we kind of see what Jesus is leading up to when he gets into the last part of chapter 8, where he kind of drives all of this information home. So let's just jump right in so I spend uh, enough time reading through this, and we'll see if we can get as far as the Lord wants me to. So Gospel according to John chapter 8, starting with verse 1. says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commands us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? And they were saying this, testing him in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone And the woman, where she was in the midst. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. From now on, sin no more. Was Jesus a Jew? Not only was Jesus a Jew, Jesus is the king of the Jews. He is the cream of the crop. He is the top rung man on earth. And after 4,000 years of Jewish history, a woman is brought to test Jesus who was caught in the act of adultery. In the story, it tells us that they intended to trap him 
And what, the, what were they trying to get him to do? They were trying to get him to condemn the woman. Jesus could not have made a right answer. Had he not condemned the woman, they would have said he wasn't a Jew and following Jewish law. If he did condemn the woman, they would have said, see, he doesn't really believe what he's telling everybody. It was a lose-lose situation either way. Jesus outsmarted him. It tells us that Jesus, the first thing he did was stoop down and began writing on the ground. And you'll notice that it says the order that the individuals began to leave were oldest to youngest. So here's the deal. You know what the truth in that situation is? There wasn't one person in that circle that wasn't guilty. At some point in their life, everybody has coveted another man's wife. That preacher just said something absolutely shocking. Don't tell me that you have not met a friend in your entire life where you see what that friend has, and even if it's one part of that, it may be just be one fraction of the relationship that you're lacking, and you go, man, I wish I had that. You know what you just did? Who's not guilty? Who's not guilty? So what do I believe Jesus was doing when he stooped down and wrote in the dirt? I believe that he stooped down and starting with the oldest people in that circle, he started to write the sin that was the sin unto death for every one of them. You want to stone her to death for what you did? What about this one here that you did? Oh, I'm out. Seemed awful righteous and religious on the one hand, right? Stone her to death. She's guilty of the law. She broke it. But no, Jesus says, every one of you are guilty. And did you know that's a biblical concept? How many people have, have uh, sinned? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And unlike the Levitical law, it doesn't take breaking a Levitical law in order for you to go to hell or for me. Because the truth is, we're sinners, and we can't help it. And there's not one person on this planet who can be good enough to pull themselves out of that category. Cannot do it. So if Jesus Christ is the payment for my sins, if he is the one who has imputed his righteousness to me, then it is his righteousness, not mine. You get it? Which means I get to reap all of the benefits, but do I get to carry the authority of a perfect person? No. Truth. Is the truth always comfortable? No, it doesn't always support our opinions and our positions, does it? But just how important is it? I got into a conversation with a man one night that says he's a believer, but never really spent a lot of time in church. And I had said something about there are a couple of places in the New Testament that speak very clearly against homosexuality in God's eyes. And this guy goes, oh yeah, but that part, that's something that's, just, that's not fitting to our culture. And I said, well, okay. I said, this book that keeps people from doing that also keeps them from raping your daughter. How does that one apply? 
Because you know where a rapist will draw that line? Right beyond rape. Human beings left to their own functions will always choose to do what's wrong. And our people are, it's so confusing to me. I don't know what wrong is. Well, it's pretty easy to figure out. Wrong will always do bad. Wrong will always hurt. Right will always do good. Right will always encourage. Right will always strengthen. Right will always bring joy into the picture. Right, good, wrong, bad. That simple. It really is. If I'm going to say something that's going to intentionally damage somebody, that is bad. But if I'm going to tell someone who's locked into a homosexual lifestyle that if they don't trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, that they're condemned to a sinner's hell for eternity. Is that mean? It's the truth. It's like people used to tell me when I was younger and quit drinking. They used to tell me I was mean because I took the keys away from my friends who were slobbered out drunk and wouldn't give them back. And I was the biggest guy in the school. There wasn't nobody taking them back. It would have been hard if they were all sober. But there was nobody taking them back when they wasn't sober, and I was. But I was the mean guy. I'm going to get them in trouble because their car's going to stay parked. Do I show more love to my friend who's alcohol, who is alcohol-consumed by taking his keys or by giving them to him? You see, the truth's the truth. The effect of the truth will always be different based on the side of the truth that an individual stands. Truth. Did Jesus let her off the hook? No. There's nobody here who condemns you. Nobody, Lord. Neither do I. Is that all he said? Now go. And don't do it again. That's what he said. I'm not going to condemn you either, but don't do it again. Verse 12. Again, therefore, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, you are bearing witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You people judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. But even if you do judge, or even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it. But I and he who sent me, even if, your, even if your law, even in your law, it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. And so they were saying to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. They say, hey, your testimony's not true because you need two individuals to affirm that testimony. Now, I wanna, here's what changes this whole scenario. 
Because when it comes to us, it definitely takes at least two, and it's better to have three individuals to confirm something. Amen? What does God have to confirm to anybody? Does he need a consortium? If he does, guess who he ain't? We don't serve him like people who believe that we hold account to him. We have gone so far. That's the truth. The truth is we're supposed to serve him. Now stick this. I want to see this stick through. We are supposed to serve him. But how does it work in the church these days? Do we serve him or do we expect him to serve us? When's the last time that you prayed just thanking him for something without asking for it? When's the last time we show gratitude to God for everything that he's done for us without us asking or acting towards him like he's cheated us in some way because we need something else to acquire that happiness or something else to acquire that release of pressure? And that's a serious question. Do you serve God or does your God serve you? God don't talk to me sometimes. But you know what? Every time he don't, I know why. He gets frustrated at me. There's times he's like, you want to swim around in that pity puddle of yours? Swim! Backstroke! When you get tired, come see me. because we serve him and this changes everything from this perspective they did not seize him because his hour had not yet come do you know what that means God not only knows time he controls time this cuts a lot deeper and I promise you the application gets stronger verse 21 he said, therefore, again to them, I go away, and you shall seek me, and shall die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Therefore, the Jews were saying, surely, he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where am I going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I said, therefore, to you, that you shall die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he... You shall die in your sins. And I want you to know that in the, in the Greek and tracing this all the way back in every Hebrew text that you can find it, the word he was inserted there so that we did not have any confusion. But the he, the he is not there in the Greek. So what did Jesus call himself? I am Seven times in the gospel according to John, Jesus says that. You know where else it was said? When Moses went up on top of the mountain and he spoke to the burning bush and God said, I'm going to send you back to free my people. He goes, okay, great, ain't going. 
He says, you don't have a choice. You're going. I'm paraphrasing. You don't have a choice. You're going. Well, pff, great. Who do I tell him's coming? Just tell him I am is coming. I am? Yeah. Need me, need me to expound on that? I am that I am. So when Jesus said in those seven places, I am, in the gospel according to John, what was he saying? It's the same God that spoke from the burning bush. The exact same God that spoke from the burning bush. The exact same God who had shown himself to Israel over the previous 4,000 years, who has destroyed the earth with a flood, who repopulated it from one family, the God who wiped out entire countries of people off of the map. The God who blessed Israel more than it had ever been blessed. The God whose fingerprints are all over his creation. This is him. I am. Verse 25 says, And so they were saying to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. The things which I hear from, heard from him, these I speak to the world. But they did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I am. Twice in one passage. He's giving this as an example because he wants individuals to understand that a life in Christ that is based on truth, not a mirage, not something that individuals, individuals delude themselves with, not things that we've allowed culture to chip away at, but the truth, the cold, hard truth that cost Jesus' his life. The truth's what cost Jesus his life. The truth exposes a lot of things and a lot of people, and they don't like to be exposed. But we get there to get here. Verse 31 says, Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Now he explains a little bit. We'll get a little bit further beyond this. But he explains a little bit about the truth and the effect of truth. And what truth actually came to expose, which was sin. Okay? Now we tend to, we tend to personalize when somebody uses the word sin. We tend to focus on our own sins. Very little do we focus on the sin that has actually molded us throughout our entire lives. And I'm not talking about your sin that has molded you. That certainly happened, but I'm talking about the sins of others. Question, 
How many of everybody? How many of you have ever? Uh, how many of you have ever been told that you amount to nothing? How many of you have been told that you're ugly? How many of you have been told you're fat? How many of you have been criticized for any reason at all? And what's the effect of these things? Well, if you grow up believing the lie, it'll mess you up. It'll turn people into introverts, people who don't want to go out into public because they think that one person that said something mean to them is what everybody else sees. The lie has pinned them down. It has prevented them from having true joy. It's preventing them from having true life. And when you read the word, like he just said, abide in his word, the truth shall make you free. The world tells you you're ugly. But the Bible tells me that God has the ability to create anything the way he wants it to, that he wants to. And there is not one person on this planet that God will look at and say that they're ugly or unattractive. Anybody ever point out your flaws? God won't do that either. You know why? Because he don't make them. Are there choices in your life that you get to make? Yes, and those are 100% yours. But the ways that individuals influence you with a lie, that's ultimately up to you too. Individuals who go to God's word and who read God's word, who listen to it preached, who listen to it Bible study through Bible study, individuals who manifest the power of God from his word through our hands and feet, he's affirming. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Did you hear me? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He says, I knew you before you were even conceived. He said, I love you. How do you prove it? He died for you. So you walk around in the world and we say, we're going through these difficult situations. I just don't see God anywhere in my life. You choose to believe the lie or you choose to believe the truth. And what does the truth say? I will never leave you or forsake you. God's own words. The truth shall set you free. All of these things the world has told us and has taught us, these lies. And the Bible holds the truth. You have options. No, you don't. It's made simple. I hate options. I always have hated options. Make it simple. Right? My oldest daughter is just like me. We can sit on a McDonald's drive-up forever trying to decide what we're going to pick off the menu. Just put one thing on the menu. I'm good with that. It's here. If you really believe that this is the word of God and you're actually allowing people out there who are mean and hateful 
to treat you the way that they're treating you and you believe it? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I know I have some aggravating qualities. And when I get in the mood, I can be really aggravating. Nothing in life that I've ever seen allows the standard to go above this. Nothing justifiably can. So you say, you know, the whole true thing about homosexuality, it's a pretty hurtful truth, especially in the world we live in today. But it's the truth. Does it matter how hurtful it is? Does it matter how people treat me for saying it? Because if it's the truth, what does anything matter? Aside from cause, effect. How does anything matter? Is it better for me to give them their keys? In other words, just tell everybody in the world, regardless of the sin that they have locked themselves into. Now, we all sin, we do. But Christians are repentant. When we make mistakes and we realize they're mistakes, the conviction of the Holy Spirit hits us, we turn. That's the way this works. But when individuals get led around by the nostrils, by the world, by the people who are out there trying to tell the lie, they're being distracted from the one thing that can help. To settle yourself on one truth. Verse 33 says, They answered him, We are Abraham's offspring and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And the, and the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If therefore a, the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's offspring, yet you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. You're doing the deeds of your father. Isn't it a little bit confusing nowadays to kind of look around and see the picture of the church? What is the church anymore? What is it? I mean, there are so many denominations on this planet right now, it is ridiculous. And do you know what that really means? you know what denominations mean? It means we just can't agree. It means we can't get along with each other. And the reason we can't get along with each other is because at some point, people start parting their ways from the truth. Now, if we're going to stand on it, we better make sure it's the truth. Amen? But if it's the truth, we better make sure and stand on it. Amen? Because what's the cost? People no longer get to hear that there's a God out there that loves you who knew you before you were conceived, who put you together the way you are, 
the one who deserves to be the one to determine your value because he built you this relationship with Jesus it's supposed to take all the lies and push them aside and although it does not do it at a really fast pace for us it does do it and the more that we find out that the liars out there are being controlled by the one who seeks to destroy and kill and the one that's in here is the one who desires to share the truth that gives us the ability to stand and then it goes back to that buddy I was telling you about at that point you cannot cut corners the truth is the truth and you find the truth you're accountable to it period I love my wife I would never divorce her but do you know what extra padlock there is over that my God tells me that he hates it divorce won't do it do you know what one of the biggest determining factor in my life is to make sure that I don't cheat on my wife God told me not to do you know what's kept me a few times in life from just shooting people in the face why because the truth has always been better and the truth doesn't seek to destroy people it doesn't seek to do damage to people if the things that we're doing in life the choices that we're making are doing damage to people it's wrong it's no less wrong than the damage that somebody may have done to you by saying something that wasn't true and was hurtful we have a lot of truth to stand on so why would we stand on anything else? Well, you're talking to homosexuals like that. That's just going to make them hateful. I'll stand before my God and give an account for the motivations of my heart. But I can tell you one thing for sure. The unrepentant sinner, I don't care what the sin is, is condemned to a sinner's hell for eternity. Why do I do what I do? Not because it pays me more. This isn't incentive-based. I don't get bonuses based on the number of people that accept Christ in a week. It's because I know what people have in their reach. It's right in front of them. It's a God who will be hard at times. He will tell us the truth even when it hurts. But he's a God who always shows us the love that we need, the understanding that we need. He gives us the foundation that we anchor ourselves to willingly willingly because once you see who he is and, and he says do you trust me when we say yes I trust you then he puts he puts a a passion in you he puts a grace in you and a mercy in you that as long as we're focused on the truth will empower us through any difficulty or challenge and the reason I say this is this where does God work the most in calm times or hard times hard times that's where he does the most good but you're his representative and so am I and if he's doing the most in hard times guess where we have to go we have to go to hard time Bill because that's where they're at 
there are people in this world you might have to drive a couple extra miles but Depressionville's right down the road Discouragementville's everywhere the truth is our anchor Jesus is the anchor for our soul it's an Old Testament concept what's an anchor for? to hold the, the ship steady in the currents and the storms in the sea. Jesus is our anchor for the soul. And his purpose is exactly the same. To keep us from bashing ourselves against the rocks or sinking to the bottom of the ocean every time that the wind picks up or, the, or that the waves rise. Does the ship need to know that it's anchored in order for the anchor to hold it? Nope. Doesn't need to know. But do you think that it would make it worry less if it did? Folks, it's Jesus that we serve. His desire is to prevent us from having to walk in the darkness. And I see this picture as this, and I've seen it so many times before. Jesus repels evil. People are talking everywhere about demons. There's going to be demons. There's demons on the earth, and they're going to start showing themselves to people, and I don't care. What powers the demon have over you? Let me tell you right now, if you have Jesus Christ, if you trust in him as your personal Lord and Savior, and you have the third person of the Trinity living inside you, wants nothing to do with that. Demons want nothing to do with that. Do you see the demon-possessed man that Jesus walked up to? Oh, son of man, what are you doing here? He was scared to death. And Jesus is like, you hush. You hush. You're about to tell something you ain't supposed to. You hush. And the guy goes, hey, how about rather than casting us out, you let us go into the swine? And Jesus goes, all right. In the swine. What did they all do? Ran into the ocean and drowned. Do you have any idea the power of God living in you? Only if you will let God go. Take the restraints off of him. What's restraints? Lack of faith. That's your constraints. God broke the chains. He didn't put them on. He broke them. And people say, oh, if you're going to be a Christian nowadays, you've got to follow all the rules. There's not one rule in Christianity that I don't want to follow. Even the ones that I may trip up once in a while, I still want to follow those rules. It's not a burden. It's not like, it's not like I'm walking around going, but it's a bummer being a Christian. Matter of fact, I, I left that life at 16 years old. I know what, I've experienced all of it. And there is no way under the sun I'm going back. No way. Because the God who cares this much for us, he wants to be interactive in our lives. He wants to see us more than on Wednesdays and Sundays. He wants to see us more than on whatever night we may particularly pick. Because if we were being honest for most people, when are we the closest with God? When we're sitting in his church. And I want to tell you, it's shameful. 
Because if he lives inside you and you only feel like he's around you when you're in church, if you really want to keep one day a week what you got, that's fine. I'm taking the 7-7 for me. Because we have lived the other life. You are doing the deeds of your father. We were not born of fornication. We have one father. Who are you doing the deeds of? Because if you're a believer and still allowing the deeds of the devil to manipulate you, then there's something missing in your life. And I'm glad you asked what that is. It's the truth. It's the truth. Find it. Settle on it. Stand on it. Doesn't mean life's going to be easy. Doesn't mean it's going to be hard. Doesn't mean it's going to be interesting. And its effect on you will have everything in the world to do with just who Jesus is to you. Is his calling worth it? Is his salvation worth it? Amen. Thank you, Brother Keith. And for those listening on the podcast, I want to offer that same opportunity to you to come to the Lord. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus, now is the time to do so. By default, we are all sinners separated from God, and there's nothing we can do on our own to fix that. That's why God sent His only Son to live a life without having committed a single sin. He was put to death on a cross as a perfect sacrifice to atone for that sin. And to seal the deal, He came back from the dead three days later. If you truly believe that and ask Him into your heart, you will be saved. If you're already a believer and need some encouragement, or need to work things out in your life, spend these next few minutes in prayer, and I'll be praying for you as well.
Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash BC. Have a blessed week, and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link, with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons. <laughs>